The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Good morning and welcome. I invite you to take a copy of the Bible and turn with me to Psalm 27. If you don't have a copy of the scripture, there's one uh, there in, under a chair close by. And if you're joining us online, you can access the scripture to the right of your screen and uh, actually look there with me. But I do encourage you to have an, a copy of your own Bible so you can make notes in it and hopefully refer back to some of these things later today or and as you move through your life and you come back to Psalm 27 and places like it, that God will encourage your heart because of what you have reflected on and what you have uh, looked at. The psalm is about God-centered confidence. I'm going to read verse 1 only as the beginning and then pray for us because verse 1 really is the foundation for the understanding of the entirety of Psalm 1. Psalm 27. So I invite you to please stand as I read Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Let's pray. Lord, as we now bow before you, we make this confession that you are our light and you are our salvation that you are the stronghold, you are the keeper of the rest of our lives. So Lord, give us perspective today. May we understand and comprehend some for the first time, others in a deeper way, who you are. And Lord, may you be worshiped rightly. And may we put people around us into perspective that we are not to fear them. So lead us now as we study your word and apply it to our hearts, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. Today is Veterans Day, and I encourage and thank all of the veterans who are present in the room with us and for your service of our country and for those of you who served on the field of battle for your display of courage and sacrifice on our behalf. In 2016, a movie was made called Hacksaw Ridge. It is centered around the life of Desmond Doss. If you have not seen the movie or you're not aware of the story, Desmond Doss was a conscientious objector. He was a conscientious objector because he was a devout Christian and he did not believe that it was right for him to take another human being's life. However, he felt it is his duty to serve the cause of freedom in his country, so he volunteered. He volunteered to serve as a medic. That met a lot of opposition because at that time a medic was required, and I assume probably still are, were required to learn how to operate and use a rifle, and Doss refused, refused to do so. He was later accepted and placed with a unit that found themselves in Okinawa at the second bloodiest battle in World War II. It faced a place that's now called Hacksaw Ridge. It was a 400-foot cliff that the soldiers had to ascend then once they were up there, they were to engage the enemy. The Japanese waited till the entire unit was up on top of the, the cliff and fully away from the edge before they were engaged, and basically the unit was slaughtered. They called for retreat. The men who were still alive went over the, 
the cliff and back down except one man, Desmond Doss. It's quite an inspiring story if you watch it. Throughout the rest of the night, Doss carried or drug men one at a time to the cliff and then lowered them by a rope over the edge. Each time as he would lower a man, he would pray this prayer. Lord, give me one more. I'm going to go with Doss's account. Doss believed he saved 50 men. The men who were counting who came over the edge said they were closer to 100, so they came to a compromise, and the report is somewhere around 75. Nonetheless, it took extreme courage to do what he did. Now, the question I have is, what was driving Desmond Doss? We know that there are other feats of great honor. He, he, he at that time, was the first medic to receive the Medal of Honor for what he did. What, what was driving this man? I think by the accounts that you read of his life and the own testimony of his lips is that he had a confidence in the Lord God, a confidence that resulted in strength and courage. And that's the content of our psalm today. This is a psalm of David. David is in a physically threatening situation. It's evident by what you find in the very uh, beginning of the psalm, verses 2 and following. Now, this morning, the overwhelming majority of us do not find ourselves in a physically threatening situation. But here's what I want to remind you. That if you are a a follower of Jesus Christ, The Bible clearly informs you that whether you knowingly or unknowingly are aware, you are constantly engaged in spiritual warfare. There is a spiritual battle that is going on around you all the time. If you could see it, it'd scare you to death. But we need to be aware of that which is happening because here's the desire of the evil one. It comes back to what we talked about last week. The evil one desires that you will either give up or give in or both. That you'll just give up in life and act like the rest of the world or you'll give in to the world and act like the rest of the world. We overcome when we realize this truth, 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Now to comprehend the teaching of this psalm, you got to understand that this is a God-centered psalm. And it results in God-centered confidence. And that God-centered confidence results in expression and experience. In other words, it's not the silent majority. It's something that comes out of us and something that we know in our lives. Now, this is important truth before I progress. I am not talking about experience leading to belief. Experience leading to belief. You you live in a Western culture that people say this, you want me to believe it, prove it to me. If I see it, I'll believe it. That's not what I'm teaching. That is not what the Bible's teaching. What the Bible is teaching is God has revealed himself and truth about himself. We believe the truth about who God is and what he has revealed. And as a result, we experience certain things in our lives. 
So we go from belief to experience, not from experience to belief. So what is it that we're to believe? That the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now these are two parallel statements with a very similar question. The first one, the Lord, the Lord God, the one true God, the covenant-keeping God is my light and my salvation. Now notice the personal pronoun in there, my. This is something personally that is to be experienced and expressed by every believer. The Lord is my light. Now what does light do? What, what happens when you turn on the light? It gets rid of the darkness. Some of you still sleep with a nightlight. Why do we keep a light on at night? It's comfort. The light brings comfort to us. This is a true story. Somewhere between eight and 10 years old, remember my brother had bunk beds. I can still remember this. And there was a rug and it was dark in my room. And I stayed up all night because I thought there was a snake in our room. And the next morning when it got daylight enough, I could see it was my belt. Now, <laughs> you could say, well, why didn't you get up and turn the light on? Well, I had to cross the snake. So it kept me in the bed all night. This was normal for me. I was very scared of the dark, scared of my own shadow most of the time. But scripture says the Lord is our light. John 1, 5. Remember, John 1 is about the fact that Jesus Christ is God. And here's what it says. The light, who is Christ, the light shines in, dark, in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Christ came into this world to shine the light of the glory of God, to reveal to us who he is. And as a result of him bringing his light, he has dispelled the darkness. And now, because of his work, he is our salvation. That because of what Christ has done in his redeeming work, we can know the salvation of the Lord, that we have been delivered from darkness, we have been delivered from sin. So as a result, here's the question. Whom shall I fear? If God is my light, who has dispelled the darkness and saved me from the darkness, who do I have to be afraid of? Ed Welch has written a book, which I commend to you. It's not on the book area, I'm sorry. The title of the book is an illustration of what this psalm is teaching. And he extensively goes through and teaches the principles of Psalm 27. Here's the title. When people are big and God is small. When people are big and God is small. You see, here's the problem in many of your lives today. You say, well, I need... I need counseling, I need all kinds of help, et cetera, et cetera. And, and maybe you do, maybe you do. Maybe your hurt is that deep that you need it. But I'm going to tell you, when you get down to the bottom of it, here's what you're going to find for most of you, that people are big and God is small. That you've lost perspective, that you've lost the comprehension. Or, or here's what's true. People don't know who God is anymore. You, you, you can't suppose people know what's in this Bible anymore that they know who has been revealed in the scripture. That we are not afraid of human beings, of people, 
Because we understand who God is. Now he presses it further with a parallel principle. The Lord, this covenant-keeping God, is the stronghold, the place of refuge, the place of protection of my life. Or it could be translated, for the span of my life. So eternally and spiritually, he's the light is shown in the darkness. He is the one who has saved my soul from sin. And here's what's true in my actual life. He is my refuge. He is my protector in, for the span of my life. So on a day-to-day basis, whom shall I be terrified of? Who shall I dread? Paul asked it this way in Romans. If God is for us, who shall be against us? In other words, who are you, why are you so afraid of people? What are you, what are you so, so scared of? Now, how does this God-centered confidence, when we understand who God is, we understand we don't have anybody to be afraid of, how does this play out in our actual lives? It plays out in the face of opposition and intimidation. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, if they stumble and fall, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear, though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. So here's what, here's what David's describing. Like a pack of wild dogs or wolves, he's surrounded and they're about to devour him. An actual army is encamped against him. And here's what he says. My heart's not going to fear. I'm not afraid. I'm going to be confident, he says. Now, here's what you could do, and I don't have time to do it extensively. You can take Psalm 22 and lay it beside verses 2 and 3, and you're going to see a parallel. Remember, Psalm 22 is about the suffering servant who is Christ. Jesus was assailed. He was surrounded by his enemies in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was arrested and drug off and faced a, a false trial, and he was sentenced to death and killed by evil men. But in the midst of that, the end of verse 2 happened. Remember? He says, all right, boys, wake up. It's time to go. They'd been sleeping while he'd been praying. About that time, the temple guard comes along, and Jesus says, who are you guys looking for? Remember this? Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus gave him a very interesting response. He said, I am. I am. God. Does anybody remember what they did? The, the soldiers, remember what they did? They fell down. They literally stumbled and lost their balance. Because they were standing in the, in the presence of God. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was one of those guys holding a torch and a sword, I'm like, let's go. Here's the problem, folks. It's not just that our enemies, it's that we've lost sight of who God is. We've lost sight of the power of who God is. Look in Exodus 15, if you want to. It's back to the left in your Bible, second book of the Bible. When David says, yet I will be confident, what's this confidence based on? Is is David repeating himself, you can do this, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. No, here's what David, David understands who God is. In Exodus 15, 
The Song of Moses. Moses says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. Now, who's he talking about? He's talking about Egypt's army. That God simply stretched out his hand and swallowed them. So, so David here in Psalm 27 knows the revelation of God. He knows the God of the Bible. He knows what God has already done, not only in his life, but what God has done since creation. Now in verse 13, Moses says, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. Now let's go back to Psalm 27 and connect these two things together. So we're trusting in a God who could swallow people up, but this God who leads his redeemed people strengthens them in his holy abode. So God-centered confidence results in expression and experience in the presence of the Lord. One thing I ask of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody. Now this might shock you, but there have been moments when I've been in crisis situations with families as a pastor to where I've taken out my Bible, opened the scripture to say, I want to read from the Bible and I want to pray from you to where I've been told, and, and it's only happened with a woman one time that I can remember. It's mostly men who go, stop it. You, you can pray and read your Bible when you get back to wherever it is you go. I, I'm not interested in that. My family needs help. We need your prayers. We, we need your Bible. It's a shocking moment. But don't you think this with me. I wonder how many people, when I read the Bible and I pray, are looking at the floor with their eyes open going, this ain't helping. They may not be antagonistic or fighting back. But in their mind, they're thinking, let's get on to something practical here. We need some help. No, here's what you need. I don't care what it is. And I'm not belittling whatever it is. And I know some of you, and some of you have some incredible pain. I'm going to tell you what you need. You need the Lord. And you need to know him. You need to seek after him. Now, how do I know that you need him? Because Jesus Christ came for you to redeem you. And, and, you want to look or just listen. Hebrews 10 says, Brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. Christ, Christ not only opened the way that we would be saved and not face eternal hell apart from God, Christ opened a new and living way that we might come into the very presence of God with confidence. The one thing that ought to scare us, and some of you it does, what ought to scare us is coming into the presence of God. But if you get that all messed up in your mind and say, well, I could never come to the presence of God. You don't know how bad I am. Yes, he knows how bad you are. He sent his son because of how bad you are. 
He sent his son because of how bad I am. Christ came to redeem me from my sin, but he came to open a way to even though I might be surrounded by my enemies, I can go to the Lord and seek his presence. Now, second main point, verse seven is a shift. Basically, up to this point, he's been declaring some truths. Verse seven is a prayer. So God-centered confidence remains, it continues in our life. It's not just something we sporadically know. It remains as the result of dependent prayer. Now, what we see here first is an urgent seeking. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Oh, you have been my help. Cast me not off. Forget, forsake me not. Oh, God of my salvation. So in Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, we have been welcomed to seek God. In Christ, the wrath of God has been satisfied so that we can come in the name of Jesus by the blood of Jesus, and we're not cast aside. We can come at any moment But here's what we can be assured of, brothers and sisters. In the most urgent moment of our life, we are heard and we are helped by the Lord. I'm sure most of you have been there. When that moment when you don't know what to pray, but you go to God and you you, you utter as best you can, that's one of those promises in Romans chapter 8, when he, when he gives utterance to what you cannot even say. He hears us in those moments of urgency. So here, here's my question to you. What's, what's your default response when difficulty comes? I hadn't planned to say this. I'll be careful. You know why we have an opioid crisis in Gaston County? It's because opioids are people's default response to difficulty. It is. It's their savior. It's a short-term savior. It just lasts for a But that's why they do it. If you're doing it, that's why you do it. It's a short-term savior. It's killing you, by the way. All of the evil one's little saviors steal, kill, and destroy. All of them. Christ has come that we might seek him and know him and find what we need in the moment that we need it. Now look at verse 10. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. This is probably a hyperbole because there's no evidence that David's parents forsook him. But we do know, according to the New Testament, and and some of you have experienced this possibly, that people who follow Jesus have often been disowned by their family. I had a woman come up to me after the first service. She's a completed Jew. And she said, 40 years, 40 years, I'm nothing. I'm nothing to my family. Nothing. Your family might forsake you, but... But the Lord will take you in. He will never leave you nor forsake you. In verse 11, this prayer continues. This is a desperate prayer because I don't know about you. When things get hard and people get mean to me, my natural response is to fight back. I know that's not yours. You're too sweet for that. So he prays this way. 
Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on the level path because of my enemies. What's he saying there? He's saying, I want to fight back. I want to act like them. So God, teach me your way. Lead me in the right path, the level path, the moral path, the biblical path. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries for false witnesses have risen against me. They breathe out violence. So this is what's happening to him. So he said, don't let them get their way. And even if it appears that they're getting away for a period of time, here's the assurance and God-centered confidence. They don't get the last word. And even though they surrounded Christ and murdered him, he got the last word. He rose from the grave. And as Christians, Christ gets the last word in our lives. So that gives us a calm assurance. I believe, verse 13, that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. One of the good things about being a pastor is you get taught about things by the saints of God. There's a sweet, godly woman who was consigned for the last three years of her life to her bed. Physically, and I'm sure emotionally, it was a horrible way to live. And I've heard people say awful things about those moments. I'm going to tell you something. That woman taught me that she could gaze upon the goodness of God while she was still alive. She trusted Jesus to the very end of her life. It was a joy to go stand at her bedside. Sometimes it was hard. Her pain was so bad, but her trust in God never wavered. Because I'm sure she did what verse 14 teaches. She preached to herself instead of listening to herself. So what do you mean by that? See, too many of us in this room, Martin Lloyd-Jones, I've got to footnote him here. Martin Lloyd-Jones is famous for writing a sermon, a book he did, that far too many Christians are listening to themselves instead of preaching to themselves. That's what David does here in the very end. He says, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. I tell my boys this all the time. Boys, a man's prone to do something even if it's wrong. All right, fellas, you with me? Got to do something. Got to solve this. Here's what the Bible says. Wait for the Lord. Now, here's what some of you hear when I say wait for the Lord. Well, you're supposed to just sit there and do nothing? No. That's not what it means. It means get your head on first, brother. Slow down long enough that you've got your mind set on the things of God so you're not acting like a pagan. You've waited till you see God's path here. See, he prayed it right up there. Show me your path. Then when you, when you see that, then you take it. And you take it with strength and courage. Let, be strong. Let, let your heart take courage. And then he repeats it to himself. Wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. How do we need to apply this today? Here's my question. Am I living with strength and courage because my confidence is in the Lord? It's really a yes or no question. I know what some of you are prone to do. I've asked you questions before. Sometimes. Am I living with strength and courage because of my confidence is in the Lord? Sometimes. I'm not asking you if every time. Here's what I'm asking you. 
Is, is the normal pattern of your life that you're trusting the Lord? That you see the evidence of God's strength and God's courage playing out in your life? Or is, is the pattern of your life that you're living in crippling fear, anxiety, You know what the number one medication pastors take is? Anxiety medication. It's, it's, it's pushing 70% of pastors take anxiety medication. Now, if 70% of pastors are taking anxiety medication, what's happening among the rest of us? Now, listen, some of you medically hear me. Some of you medically, the way the chemicals of your brain works, you need medication. Don't go home and quit taking your medication because of my illustration. That could be very dangerous for you and your family. My question is, why are we so anxious? What are we so afraid of? What is it that we're scared of? Could it be that we've lost sight of who God is? Have we turned our minds and our hearts away from who God is? Turn to Hebrews chapter 13. I know Joshua 1's there, but I've learned in the other two sermons, if I go to Joshua 1, we're going to be here forever. So Hebrews 13. You know what the number one worry in Gastonia is? What it's around? Money. So it's either those of you who have jobs, you're worried you're not going to have it or you're not going to make enough money. And those of you who are retired, and it's off the charts with retired people, it's the fear that you didn't save enough for your retirement. It's number one fear in your community. So you just know that when you're sharing with your neighbors, that's what they're scared of, most of them. You say, well, what's, this, what's, what's money got to do with the price of eggs in China? Okay, look at Hebrews 13 and you're going to see it. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Okay. When the gospel comes to a lost culture, now track with this. When the gospel comes to a lost culture, people lose two things because they follow Jesus. Two things. Number one, it's already been in the text. Who forsakes them? Their family. Number two, what do they lose? You wanna guess? Their job. Their livelihood. So Hebrews is written to a group of new Christians who are suffering, who probably some of them have lost their jobs and some of them are in threat for losing their jobs because they're followers of Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, what are you scared of? God's got you. He's going to take care of you. He promises, he promises that he's never going to leave you or forsake you. You say, well, I'm not going to make as much. That's why he says, be content with what you have. God's going to make sure that you have enough. Now, we're going to press this in growth group. Philippians chapter 4 is the same theme. The verse that you've quoted when you're trying to hit the ball or shoot the basket or kick a goal or whatever, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, has nothing to do with sports. It has to do with contentment. 
and the courage to live content. Now back to this text. The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? If you'll remember, several weeks ago, I told you about a young man in Central Asia who had been summoned home and we hadn't heard from him. Some of you have asked me about it and prayed, so I'm gonna give you an update. Let me give you the backstory a little bit. This young man is almost through with his education. And if I ask you what's the top careers in our culture that make the most money, you get that in your head. He's almost finished with his education for the top career in their culture. He's almost done. And he was summoned home. He had to quit. He was summoned home to the family. When he arrived, when he arrived, they took everything he had. They belittled him for having an NGO, a Bible. They took his phone to cut him off from outsiders. And they sent him every day for hours of the day to meet with the imam to instruct him in the right ways of Islam. A couple of weeks ago, some believers were in his home country where he has been summoned back to, and they got to see him. The guy was describing to me, he said, it's so convicting. He's, he's such a content follower of Jesus. This guy's a Christian less than a year. As he was telling us the story, he said the night before he left, we were reading the Bible and we we're talking about not denying Jesus and what those scriptures say if you deny him. And that, 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 that you, there are a lot of things you can submit to your family on, but you can't deny Jesus. They prayed, they finished, they were going, taking him to the airport. And he looked at him and he said, Em, what are you afraid of? Are you scared? Here's what he said with a smile on his face. They'll beat me a little. Now listen, I want that to sink into you. This is a grown man who was almost finished with a professional degree. Who knew that when he got home, he was going to be treated like a 10-year-old. Okay, Muslim culture, you got to understand two things. Number one, you don't shame the family. Becoming a Christian is about shaming the family. You don't shame the family. So they brought him home so you don't shame the family. But they want to reorder his mind and send him back. Because what does M represent? Money. Show me the money. Show me the money. I've had a lot of conversations with Christian people who have made decisions not to do things and encouraged their children not to do things because of money. And I submit to you, brothers and sisters, in this room, this is one of the biggest fears that's leading to compromising of faith in more ways than we're willing to admit. Money. So I want to encourage us all to seek our hearts. What is it we're afraid of? 
What is it that we're wrongly believing about God? What is it that we rightly need to believe so that we live and walk in courage and with strength, not in fear? What's the last question in Hebrews 13, 6? What can man do to me? There's a big list. The Bible will tell you. It's a big list of what a person can do to you. Here's what they can't do. A human being cannot consign you to hell, and a human being cannot save your soul. God can do both. So I have a question for you. Let's go back to the very beginning and let's tie a bow on this thing. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is your light and salvation? Do you believe he can save you? Do some of you in here believe that? All right, then I have a question for you. Why do you not believe he's the stronghold for the rest of your life? How can you believe a God can save you who can't take care of you? That's illogical. How can you trust him with your soul and you can't trust him with your life? The Bible's saying he's both. He is your light and your salvation and he is the stronghold of your life. Who are you scared of? Who are you scared of? It's the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, I, I come now and I plead before you on behalf of my brothers and sisters who gather in this room. And God, I, I, I've tried not to, and I pray that I have never in any way belittled anybody. The struggles you know I've had with fear in my life are multiple. But Lord, I've come to understand that those those fears are little idols that I've worshiped and bowed down to when I need to bow before you, my Lord and my maker. And I pray for the believers in the room to see that. And God, I pray for those who have yet to believe in this room, who, who are not Christians, who are trusting in themselves, but they're here today. They're looking for something. They're looking for answer. May they see that Jesus, Jesus is the way. He is the one who has satisfied what we need. He's the one who's provided the new and living way for us to be saved and to come in the presence of God. And Lord, I plead for those who are living in fear, those who are backed into a corner today, that they would come and pour their hearts out before you and that they would long to know you more fully. And Lord, that you would give them what they need, that you would give them the strength and the courage they need in this hour. Lord, I pray that we would encourage each other as we sing and that we would bless one another as we pray in this hour. We pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.